I'm Quinn Murphy, and this is In My Chair. Kate Young is a New York-based stylist. Her celebrity clients include Margot Robbie, Dakota Johnson, Selena Gomez, Michelle Williams, Rachel Weisz, Sienna Miller, Nina Dubrov, and Sophie Turner. On the commercial side, she has consulted for Armani Exchange, Todd's, Halston, and Taylor, and style campaigns for Dior, Guerlain, Carolina Herrera, CoverGirl, Pantene, and Olay. She formerly served as a fashion editor at large for Interview Magazine and has also styled editorials for ID, Numero Japan, Glamour, InStyle, and more. Kate frequently collaborates with photographers such as David Sims and Annie Leibovitz and designers on their shows and collections, including Jason Wu, Nina Ricci, Derek Lamb, and Rosetta Getty. Today, Kate is one of the most sought-after red carpet stylists, having been named the most powerful stylist by The Hollywood Reporter three times and stylist of the year by In Style. Kate, welcome Hi. to my chair. Hi. <laughs> um, I'm so happy to have you here because I, I know how busy you are and were major. formerly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it's nice so to talk to you. You too. Actually, um, it was nice. See, I got to see you last week and you were one of the only people I've worked with since this has started. So that was actually like made me feel good about like, oh, it feels good to go to work and see people that I know. And It does, doesn't it? I mean, so we work together for the YouTube thing that I'm shooting and that that sort of come out of missing work so much. And there was a moment when we were getting ready for it where I called in all these dresses and I opened the door to my office and it felt like old times. I was like, oh God, the office is full of dresses. And then I saw you, like it actually felt really nice and like yeah. familiar and something I've really missed. So how did the shoot go? Cause you just, was that the first um, episode that you shot? Yeah, it was the first. So we shot, we shot um, the first episode and then some parts of other episodes and it was, it was good. It was exhausting. Um, you know, I'm not used to, to being on video or talking that much, you know, usually so much of the conversation is in my head. So at the end I felt, I felt like I just run a marathon or something. I was like, wow, that was physically exhausting. It makes you feel yeah. for our clients who like when they go on, like at a press tour, they go on camera and we can go to the buffet and like grab food and they don't <laughs> get to stop. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So I wanted to get started with some things that I personally want to know uh, from you is you started out at the epicenter of American fashion, working as Anna Wintour's assistant. Hello, Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> then you moved to the styling department, assisting the market editor. Then the you were the assistant to Tawny Goodman, legendary. Um, and then you eventually became a sittings editor. Two-part mm -hmm. question is, how did that uh, intense fashion background help you lay the groundwork for what you do today? And do you rely on that? training that you got in the editorial fashion world? Yeah. So I actually, I was never the devil wears Prada. Uh, I was never the first assistant. I was only the second assistant of Anna. So that job was like the greatest introduction to New York city. You know, I hadn't really lived here. I grew up, I grew up about an hour and 10 minutes away. So I came here to go to museums and shows and shopping, but I'd never lived in the city before and that job was mostly errands, you mm -hmm. know, and I had a driver. So I really learned New York and I learned really a fancy, fabulous New York. Like 
I did Christmas shopping for her. So all the corporate gifting. So I would like, you know, take my driven, my driver to Hermes and buy beach towels. Like I had never been in, Oh, maybe, you know, like I'd maybe been in an Hermes store, but I hadn't bought anything and I didn't know they made beach towels. And I didn't right. know that was the chicest gift in the world. You know, like it was that, that job was like an education in fancy New York city. And also just like getting around, learning stuff, learning about how the kind of people who work at Vogue live, where they get their flowers, where they, you know, really yeah. silly things that, that inform like a, a, a sort of luxurious lifestyle. Um, and what so that, that was like, what year would you say? I think it was 97. So things um, were really like also like at their peak. Yeah, magazine world was super glamorous. And like, I had to work at all. And as parties, she, I, I, she still, I mean, during COVID no, but she entertains at home a lot, you know? So I would work there and I'd get to meet her parties are really amazing. It'd be like the most important author right now. And, um, a painter who's had recently showed and maybe Madonna and some fashion designers, you know, it was really interesting. Um, so, so that job, I actually think informed a ton because it sort of just taught me about lifestyle and culture and, um, good taste and the city. But then, um, I wanted to be a fashion writer, I thought, and I didn't get, I, I, I tried out for a writing job and it, it wasn't even that I didn't get it after doing a, I had to do a writing test over the weekend and it was excruciating. And I was like, actually, I don't want to do this. I really, it's like too hard for me. And I told Anna that I wanted to be a sittings editor. And she was like, well, then you should go work in market because you Would can't you, be a wait, sittings editor. How do you editor. go up to Anna and tell her that you want, you want anything? Like, what was that like? You could just walk well, in and be like, hey, Anna, I want to be a sittings editor. No. Well, you know, when she interviewed me for the job, she was like, this job is tedious. It's an assistant job. It, it won't inspire you intellectually. But if you do a good job, you know, I'll make it work your, worth your while. So the, there was always like a, it was, she doesn't have assistance for 10 years. She doesn't have career assistance. That's why so many people in the industry, you hear them say they assisted her. Right. You, you know what I mean? I mean, it, it's a job you do for a couple of years, you learn. And then you, and then when she, she knows you by then, and she knows what kind of worker you are and what kind of mind you have. Um, if she likes you, you get another job, you know? It's almost like uh, like an educational period or or like a school. Like going to grad school in a way for yeah, fashion. Totally. Um, so then I went to work in the market department, which that that is um, calling in clothes. So all you do is talk to designer PR, and and that really, my relationships with designers are what made celebrity styling possible because celebrities weren't designers weren't that interested in celebrity when I started. Um, magazines were the thing, but because I had strong relationships with PRs and design houses, when I was doing favors for celebrities, like, oh, could we borrow this dress for a premiere? They were like, yeah, sure. Cause we already had a relationship. Y you know what I mean? Right. Like that was really the crux of it. It really, it really cemented my ability to are there some people who you still work with that you worked with when you were at Vogue? No, no. So I, I, um, when I left Vogue, I think I was dressing Jennifer Connelly maybe a little bit and Selma Hayek. 
Um, and then Hillary Swank. Jennifer Connelly and I are still friends. Leslie dresses her and she has a Louis Vuitton contract and my clients do too. So like we go to the shows together and stuff. I love her. She's wonderful. But I think she and Leslie are a perfect fit. Like Leslie makes her look incredible. She's incredible. I mean, Leslie's incredible. And also she always looks good, you know? Yeah. Um, She's a beautiful woman. (laughs) So when you, why did you decide after putting in all that work for what probably isn't a ton of pay to, to then go into the celebrity world, which at the time wasn't nearly as glamorous as it is now? It wasn't so much a choice as I know there have been articles that uh, where I've done interviews and it's really sounded like I made a clear choice. And for a very long time, my career was in thirds, like Mm. a third editorial and advertising, like photo shoot, a third consulting for brands and styling shows and a third celebrity. And that's the way I handled it for years and years and years. Um, And I did... I did probably after my second child was born, realize that like Instagram was just starting. It just seemed to me like celebrity was where it was going. Like doing editorial, I I found it harder to get clothes for editorials. The budgets were so limited that it almost felt like I was paying to do a photo shoot. Uh Um, You know, like that started really dwindling and like, I had two kids at home. I, you know, I, I th- was thinking about finances more and also about my time more. Like, you know, if I'm leaving home, it needs to be worth my while. So I think that um, that's when I started to really lean into celebrity, but also the culture. I just like I was sort of reading the vibes of what was working in my career. And that seemed like where it was going. Because also, Does that make sense? yeah, the, the, the editorial side was also going on that journey with you because the people invited to the Met Ball were changing, the cover stars were changing. And so it, it was happening anyway, even if you stayed in the editorial side, it was becoming more celebrity, I think. Yeah, totally. So were you worried about the people that you had kind of created these long relationships with um, looking down on you or feeling insecure about stepping into a completely new, not that you said it was a third, but, but really taking that thing to be like, okay, I'm going to put my energy into this now. Um, You know, I still would love to be like, I see, you know, Inez and Renaud's work on Instagram or something. I would still love to be a really successful editorial stylist. Um, That's like something that I was never able to realize. So I think there's part of me that just felt like I'm better at celebrity (laughs) styling, you Mm. know, like the fashion people might not think it's cool, but it's what I'm good at. You know, you know what I mean? Like, I find editorial shoots much more difficult. I really struggle with them and I second guess myself and I um, overwork things and kind of ruin them a lot more often where um, I find celebrity styling really intuitive. And And can you explain why, why you're good at it or what's intuitive about it for you? I don't, you know, I, I always get these questions like, how do you do your job? And I'm like, I don't really know. I can tell you the nuts and bolts of what it is. Like, I think that I come from a Vogue background. Um, I, most of my really good friends work in fashion or worked in fashion at some point, you know, uh, 
we talk about fashion all the time. So I have that kind of brain and that kind of culture in my life that makes me think about brands. And I also think the way the the brands are thinking in a way that if I were outside of New York City fashion world, I don't know that I would be quite as strategic Mm. and sort of know the new brands that people are caring about, know who Vogue likes right now, know know like what the fashion insiders are thinking and talking about. And I think that works for my clients in terms of strategy and keeping them relevant, you know, brand wise with the designers that they're wearing. Um, Is that something that you have from direct conversations with your friends or can anybody kind of get that from reading, you know, business of fashion and women's wear daily? I mean, some of my friends are writing those articles. So I'm talking to them about it a week before and I get the unvarnished version. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) It's like, I have these robust text chains as the shows are coming out. And, you know, I think that, that like my community really helps me to be good at my job. And then, so that's the sort of intellectual side of it, like the brand strategy part of it. Um, But then I think what I'm good at is dealing with people's bodies and working with clothes in three dimensions. Okay. And that's not a talent that's really useful in photo shoots. Can you explain that for people? Yeah. Like in a photo shoot, you don't even need to close a dress. You can just put a clamp or a piece of tape and hold it on. It doesn't need to fit. And if it looks really unflattering, it's okay. The photographer will retouch it, make them look thin and tall. And I... I'm really very interested in every woman's body is so different and you can use clothes to the, to, you know, give the best effect visually in a photograph. So like, I'm really interested in figuring out what works and what makes someone look really good. So Um, you approach the woman kind of from a structural uh, body shape kind of place first. that's I, I really like. It's not always possible because their schedules are so busy. But when I take on a new client, I like to do like a dummy fitting where I just pull in like random dresses and random. I make them try on 10 pairs of jeans, you know, and go like, OK, these are the jeans that work for you. Um, this kind of dress is going to work for you. This kind of top is going to work for you because. It's hard to tell, you know, with YouTube, I know that's something that people are interested in me doing, like telling them how to dress for their figure, but people's ideas of their figures are warped a lot of the time. Like people will be like, I'm pear shaped. And I'm like, no, you're not. Right. You just have a high hip, you know, like you kind of have to try on clothes to see it. I, and once I see it, then I have in my mind sort of the structure of what I'm looking for for them. And do your clients learn that about themselves too? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's why models have good style a lot of the time. Models have good style because they've tried on all the clothes. Exactly. And they have the best stylists putting them on them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're thinking of taking on a new client, because I know there's only so much uh, time in a day that you have and you're very busy. Mm -hmm. So it's got to be mutually beneficial for the actress and for you. Yeah. What are you what are you looking for when someone comes ar- around and they're saying, "Would you like to work with this person? What's important for you?" Um 
I mean, the first thing I like, there are a couple of people I've said no to, and I've been so sad that I, that they aren't my clients because they happen to have a movie coming out at the exact time as one or two other clients I have. And I just can't, like, I can't take on a new client when I'm in the middle of two press tours because I can't take on a new client and like send an assistant to deal with them. You know, like, first of all, the first priority is like good service. So, um, I want people to feel seen and that, you know, I'm, I'm a service provider. I want them to feel taken care of and um, seen and, you know, protected by the fashion. And if their schedule is overlapping with two people who I'm already working with or a really big press tour, I just don't want to give like shitty service. I don't have a huge team, as you know, you know, I have a really small team because, um, it takes me a long time to get comfortable with people. And when I get comfortable with them, I kind of want to keep them as long as I can and and keep my team small so that I can be, you know, I say crazy stuff. Um, I am silly and um, not always politically correct. And um, we also know a lot of stuff. We know when people are pregnant, we know when they're getting married, we know all this information about them that nobody should know. And so I, I really value like privacy. Yeah. So I don't want, like, I'm not someone who has four interns in the office ever. So I can't, I'm, I'm not a factory. And that's like a choice that I've made. I know I could make more money and be more successful if I had, if I had more people working on these projects, but I just, mm, I can't figure it out in a way that I feel comfortable with. Does that make sense? Yeah. And how does that relate to your relationship with your clients too? Does it take you a while when it's someone you're working with to also kind of get in that inner circle feeling? I think that like, that's why I do the dummy fitting a lot of times. I do think that as a stylist with a client, um, the relationship happens faster because people are getting naked around me. <laughs> and I, I know that's a very weird thing to say, but like when you take your clothes off, there's very few people you take your clothes off for. Right. So like when you're standing with me with no clothes on, you, you kind of have to trust me. You, so it does speed that relationship up. That you makes know, you sense. have to kind of tell me your flaws and you have to tell me when you're pregnant and you have to tell me, <laughs> Wait. you know, you do, you have to tell me things, secrets, you know? Have you ever had someone pregnant who just refused to tell you and you're like, girl? No, I, I okay. always know. They, no, because the clothes won't fit. And usually, you know, you start to look a little pregnant before you want to tell people because, you know, so many people miscarry in the first trimester. So like they don't want people to know in case something goes wrong. You know, they don't want to talk about it. And jinx right. It. So it's like personal. there is definitely a, a period of hiding it. Can you give us an abbreviated version? Just because I'm thinking some people listening yeah. don't really know what goes into yeah. the, the, for you to style someone for an event. So let's say you have a client going to one red carpet, let's say the Vanity Fair Oscar party. Mm-hmm. What does that entail in terms of, um, like, how many fittings? What do you do? Like, start to finish. It's a lot of work. And I don't think people realize it's not just taking a dress and throwing it on and saying, okay, you're ready. 
Vanity Fair is a tricky one. That's a whole different ball game because it's Oscar week and dresses are hard to come by. But if it were just like a premiere or the Met Ball or something, right. what happens usually is if it's a new client, we meet, we uh, we talk about goals and ideas and silhouettes and things. Uh, ideally, we do a dummy fitting. And then um, what I generally do, sometimes I make a mood board first. Um, it gets me in the right frame of mind. Mm. And then I go on Vogue.com and start scrolling through. Like I just go to the designers list and go to every designer I think would work and write down the look numbers that I think would work for them. And then we email every designer and say, you know, we're dressing so-and-so for this event. The fitting is on this event or on this day. Um, can we have these six looks? And then there's a lot of back and forth because samples, usually there's only one set of samples for each designer until stuff goes into the shop. So there's a lot of um, like one dress is being FedEx from Vogue LA. One dress is coming from sales and a sales event in Texas at Neiman Marcus. One dress, you know, like there's a lot of logistics that's quite boring. And, and you want to have everything for one fitting. Yeah. So everything has to come in. I I generally like it to come in the day before because basically I'll call in two racks of clothes and then edit it down to like one rack because I don't like to show. Basically, I like to only show things that I like. I don't want to give options that I would be unhappy with them wearing. Mm -hmm. So I edit that down to like my choices. um, And then I show them a selection that they can basically choose from. But I like all of them. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Yeah. Because you're never going to really love, if you're not going to push or ever really love something, then it's not going to work. Yeah. And in normal times, I also go to showrooms. So I also make a bunch of appointments to go into showrooms just because honestly, I can tell if something's going to work when I touch it, where on a a TV screen or or on a computer screen, I can't really tell. Um, when I touch something and like hold it, I can see whether it'll work or not. Mm. So rather than wasting people's time taking samples out of their showrooms, I much prefer to do appointments. So generally I would do like a day where I do an appointment every 30 minutes all day long. Like I just, I get usually like get a car for the day and I just go like do 20 appointments and pull all day, two days before the fitting. Then the next day we pick everything up. I edit it. And then the next day we do the fitting with a tailor. And, and the then, tailor will, will do it. will take the garment back and then the. Exactly. Uh, make the alteration for the second fitting. Yeah. So sometimes we have a second fitting. Sometimes we don't. I usually use really simple shoes and accessories during the main fitting. And then we retry with the actual shoe, the actual accessory, because I tend to call a lot of stuff in and, and don't know where I'm going in the beginning. I don't also call in like 5,000 pairs of shoes and 5,000 handbags. I see what we're doing. And then from there, I start making phone calls. Like I need this shoe that you have. And I, I keep all the lookbooks on my um, computer. And I, I call in like specific accessories for the looks. So every and season, then, you're an encyclopedia of basically designers and everything going on in your mind. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that's my job. Yeah. Right. I mean, I tend to, so like I have favorites for sure. 
And those are favorites for a few reasons, maybe because I like their PR and they're very easy to deal with and I get what I ask for. Maybe they're because uh, like with shoes, there are shoes that I love, but like I tend to get complaints from clients because they're uncomfortable and I know which ones are comfortable and they'll wear and not complain. (laughs) And it's like a nice compromise. Um, You know, like there are a number of different factors, you know, when you're dealing with... (sighs) On Instagram, I get sort of frustrated sometimes because people leave these comments and it's like, well, they have a contract with this brand and clearly have to wear it. So in that case, I'm just selecting from what the brand already has. Um, Sometimes they want to wear something that like they saw somewhere and they want to wear it. It's not always entirely my choice. Sometimes they can't wear a shoe that doesn't have an ankle strap because they can't walk in it. Or, you know, like there are all these factors that people don't know go into the decisions. And I think that's why it's so cool that your YouTube channel is coming out because people don't realize that you are not Oz and you're not going, okay, I'm going to like dress you up exactly how I want. I'm also not a dictator. Like in my personality, I am a people pleaser. I like people to feel happy. And I definitely view my job as a, as being a service job, like I want to make my client feel really good and make them happy and help them to sort of refine uh, this image that they hope to project into the world. So I don't come in and say like, this press tour, you are doing 70s, everything will be red, white, and black. Like I don't come in and dictate in this super bossy way what should and what shouldn't be. I... um I like it to be collaborative. And I think that's why, like, I really admire stylists who are dictators. When you look at their body of work, it's like cohesive. It's super, super clear what their vision is. Like if you look at when Rachel Zoe used to style clients, you could see any one of her clients and be like Rachel Zoe dressed her. From a branding perspective, that's brilliant. It's so genius. It's so amazing that she had this clear vision. But my clients all look different. Um, and I think it's harder. I think, you know, I have certain signatures to who I am. Like I tend to like things to look effortless. I don't do super, super campy, draggy looks. Um, I don't do super, super high fashion looks on most of my clients because it just does, it looks effortful to me. And I always want them to, I, I want the clothes to look like their own and I want them to look like themselves. So it's harder to say what a signature of my styling is because of that. But I also think that is the signature. That you don't put your grubby fingerprints all over it. <laughs> That's what I say about makeup artists. I'm always like, you can, they just couldn't help but get their grubby fingerprints on that face <laughs> with their agenda. But, yeah. So if I were hiring you, I'm hiring you because your aesthetic and taste level is above mine. Because that's what you well, do. It's not and that's above. It's just more well-educated. That's what I right. think about all day. I don't think about acting. I think about dresses. Right. So what do you do when you have a client who doesn't share your taste level? Or you might even think, you know, needs a, a higher taste level. How How do you negotiate that? A lot of times the best thing to do for me uh, that I found effective is I take a lot of photos during the fitting. And when you show someone a photo, 
side by side, a dress they think is great and a dress Mm. that looks great in a photo, they can see that. That's so true. Everything is visual now. Yeah. Even in politics or anything. Yeah, we're doing this for the photo. Any press they're doing is to get a photo, promote the movie, you know, promote their their personal brand, which, you know, is, it's visual. So I think usually I can show them a photo and say like, yeah, this one's better. And they'll, and they'll see rather then, than bickering about it. Is it ever just not a match, whether it be personality or aesthetic of or course. whatever? Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, I've done lots of single fittings with clients, you know, and, and we're just like, we don't get each other, you know, yeah. but it, it happens. Uh, I mean, I'm glad I, I'm successful enough that it's not like a c- career ender anymore, but you know, it's the same with relationships. I, I e- relationships fall apart sometimes, you know, there are people I was friends with 20 years ago who, I see them in a room now. I say hi, but I'm not calling them up to talk every day. Right. Well, I think also that the stylist-client relationship is the strongest, in my opinion, as a makeup artist, because I show up to work on the days that we are actually doing press or whatever it be. The stylist is working with that client for weeks beforehand. So you guys get... Uh, intimate and the amount of output that you put into a client is way more than, than hair and makeup, in my opinion. Well, I mean, if I had to choose it again, if I had any skills, I'd be a makeup artist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm not, I'm not good at with my hands. I'm not good at drawing or painting. Um, but yeah, I think makeup, makeup is also intimate because you're touching, you know, you're right there in someone's face. It is. But uh, my job is much more prep and post, you know, I also have to return all the clothes and deal with the logistics. Like on a big press tour with a big movie star, I try to have them wearing like serious runway looks and those looks have to be returned, you know, immediately after wearing because they have to go somewhere else. So there's a lot of like, okay, in in the suitcase, there's a shipping label for each outfit. And as soon as you wear it, you put it in a bag with the label and give it to the concierge. And then we call the concierge and get it picked up and get it sent somewhere. Like there's just a lot of very um, boring logistics, which hair and makeup don't have to deal with. At all by design. I'm like, <laughs> I always see you guys with all this stuff. And I'm like, I just could never do it. I just couldn't even keep track of the rings and the jewelry, let alone like all the shoes and everything. It's a lot. Well, I mean, work. luckily now, I mean, at this phase, it's great because I have super strong assistants who do most of that stuff, which is delightful. <laughs> I mean, I've had this happen where you work with someone and you feel very close and maybe it's been years that you've kind of built a relationship and for whatever reason you don't work together anymore. Yeah. How do you, on a personal level, do you take, do you take that personally? Oh, for sure. I mean, I'm much more guarded than I used to be. When I first started styling, I think I was much more like, Oh, we're friends. You know, they're inviting me over to dinner. We're friends. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when the relationship fell apart, Part, I'd be like, oh my God. But that's true with styling shows too. I mean, I worked at Derek Lamb for years and then the relationship wasn't really working. I mean, we were 
incredibly close. We were going on vacation together and, you know, he made my wedding dress and then like the relationship wasn't working and we decided not to work together, but like, we also weren't friends anymore. So I'm much more guarded, like work relationships or work relationships. Having said that, I have some clients who I've, you know, I've been working with for like, you know, 15 years and we're definitely friends. Um, you know, it, it's hard. I don't, I don't seek that out. Like I, I'm actually way more guarded with that than like when I get a new client and they're like, let's have dinner. I'm like, mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I, I think it's one of the hardest parts of our job, especially most of us are very sensitive people because, you mm-hmm. know, why else would we do what we do? And the lines yeah. get blurry and um, I am like li- just learning how to really kind of have that healthy balance. Mm-hmm. Well, I also think, I, I, I know this is a weird thing to say, but I don't think friendship is conducive to creative relationships sometimes. Mm-hmm. If you're too close, you don't get truth out of each other. Right. You know You know what I'm saying? It's like, I, I, I have one client who I, I do spend time with socially. And when we're starting to get ready for a press tour, I pull away a lot. Because I don't want to chat. Yeah. I mean, it's been years and years. I think she does the same thing. She's kind of like, yeah, that's how we're going to, like, that's how we can be honest with each other and how she can be like, I hate this in a fitting. And I won't feel like she's saying, I hate you. Mm-hmm. You know, you know it, what I'm saying? And would you be able to, st- to stay friends if she ended up uh, working with somebody else? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It all depends. Yeah. I mean, you know what I was thinking about last night, and I'm sure that this could probably apply to many industries, but like, there's nothing that tangible about our what we have. It's like relationships with actors and actresses and whatever. It's not like we have a store or that we have a product that you can actually like mm-hmm. hold and see. So everything is kind of this illusion. Like now that I'm going to go off on a tangent here, but because it was COVID, a lot of my illusions are being broken down. Like I am the makeup artist. I do have a career. I do have that. And it's all an idea. Yeah. I mean, I, I was like joking that I was going to get a job at the bakery near us. Cause I like making bread. <laughs> Cause I was like, I don't know. I'm not someone who can, I can't do outfits on myself and photograph myself and put it on Instagram. I know that that would probably be a, a good way for me to showcase my talent, but I just, I just can't do it. Um, it makes me uncomfortable. Um, and that's kind of what the YouTube came out of. It's like, I can talk about clothes all day long. What is my talent? My talent is making outfits, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is, which is like meaningless during COVID, right? <laughs> I mean, I can show you how to order matching sweatsuits. I don't know. No, it's very humbling, I think. Yeah. Uh, Norman Jean Roy opened a bakery up in Hudson, and it's incredible. Really? Yeah. Like, my my partner, Jean-Pierre, was like, this is the best bread and, and pastries that I've had in the, the United States. No way. Yeah. He just, I think he, I don't know if he's still shooting, but he just went upstate. It's right in Hudson on that main street, and it's incredible. Oh, I should go. Yeah. No, it's really good. Um, what is the obsession in the fashion industry with being cool 
And do you, as a stylist, feel that pressure all the time because you're the ambassador to that person's relationship to fashion often? Yeah, my whole job is trying to make people cool. Right. I mean, I had a really funny conversation. A friend of mine is applying to high schools for her for her daughter. And she's like, I just don't want her going to a school where she hangs out with an anorexic celebrity's daughter who's vaping all the time. And I was like, I want to <laughs> hang out with her. You know, like. <laughs> Welcome to like, my world. <laughs> I was like, she sounds cool. Um, you know, I am. <laughs> um, I don't know that I should be allowed to be a mom. Um, I. That is what I do is try and make people cool or make people who aren't cool appear cool. You know, that's part of my whole effortless thing. You know, like I, my, when I look at people and it looks like they tried too hard, I assume they're not cool. They tried too hard. You know, they're, when you see, that's the obsession with French style, you know, how many Pinterest boards are there and, you know, fashionista and Vogue.com articles about how to look like a French girl. They all look like they didn't try. Mm-hmm. It's like, and but they're trying you know, very hard. Of course right? they're yeah. trying. They all are saying like, Oh, this Chanel jacket. It was my grandmother's. It wasn't, they bought it on the real, real, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's what, so what that is cool. Yeah. I mean, what is, what is, what is your definition of, of cool? I know this sounds so contrived, but we're all obsessed with it. So it's like, I want to hear someone like actually say what it is. Well, I think there is always in the fashion mix, a designer who is cool, right? Or a few designers who are like considered the designers who kind of have the finger on the pulse. So it's wearing that designer right? Which is, it could be a huge LVMH brand. It could be a young designer. It could Who just is be it right a now? certain sneaker. Who's one of them right now that you would say? Oh, God. That's tricky. Right now is such a weird time. <laughs> Whoever's it's making the best sweatpants. Bizarre, yeah. It's like, it's such a bizarre time to actually talk about that because like there are shows that are doing things that are cool, but like nobody's wearing the clothes. Well, was Gucci in the last five years cool to you? Yeah. So like when Gucci, when Alessandro Michele's Gucci first came out, that was definitely cool. It was like a real shift. I remember seeing that show for the first time and being like, what? Um, And it had a quality that I think is always a good sign, which is a thing that when you first see it, you're like, ew. Yes, Um, totally. You know, like the best things, the things that stay with you longest and you love the most are always the things that you don't understand immediately. Like things that are instantly digestible are easily forgotten. And boring. Yeah. Yeah. And just like whatever, you know, it's like, it's not that exciting a thing. Um, So, so there's that. It's like wearing the cool designer and then... I think, honestly, hair and makeup, Mm. hair and makeup make a huge difference. When you look at, when you Google image almost any celebrity and you look at the beginning of their career, when they were doing their own hair and makeup, or they were just like, you know, getting glam squad. I'm sure they're talented artists at glam squad. I don't mean to like say that's not great, but when when they find their fit, when they find good hair and makeup who 
who align with them with them aesthetically and also understand what the light on a red carpet is and what it is to do hair and makeup for photos, you see a definite change. I mean, but don't, don't you, you find th- this? I do. You I don't see- think that the average woman uses makeup in a way to actually like accessorize their look or make themselves cool. Like there's so many things you can do with makeup and that's not ostentatious that could be really just like cool. But there's always a makeup thing that's cool. Like right now, I think like a little flick that only comes out of the outer corner of your eye drawn with a little felt tip pen. Like that is a cool girl makeup look right now. Uh, Pre-COVID, it was like an orange red lip, right? I mean, there are little things that are like the cool girls are doing it. Yes. And I agree with you that also the, it might be technically perfect, but it also has um, an emotion to it or an ease to it. Like the, the overdrawn penciled out lip and the like, you know, perfect skin, you know what I mean by that? Like coverage is not cool. No, it looks good in a photo, but when you see it, I, I always think serious foundation in real life gives me the same response as obvious plastic surgery where Mm. like I can't stop looking at it. Like I'm not able to connect with the person because I'm inspecting their like weird lips or that foundation thinking like, why do you have all that on? Do you have melasma? Do you have acne? Do you think that looks good? Like I get really in my head about like, I wonder why they put all that foundation. What's the cover up? Yeah. (laughs) What's under there? So, Isn't it exhausting though? Like I get tired of myself and I'm not saying that I'm like that cool, but like that thing in fashion, and we all know those people who are impossibly chic and cool. Like it, it comes at a price. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think there's a lot of depression and insecurity and, you know, there's a lot of addiction in the fashion world because in order to spend so much time working on a look and working on being cool, you have to be profoundly insecure. I mean, we all are Mm -hmm. like, we're not balanced people. I mean, in my real life, I, we go to Woodstock. We've been going upstate for years and years and I have a very tiny wardrobe upstate. I wear Birkenstocks and hiking boots. And I always view it as like, take a break. You know, I, I don't, dress in any exciting way there. And, and really nobody does. Um, but over COVID we were there for like eight straight months and I was desperate for like high heel boots and, and fashion. Like we got back to the city and I started dressing up just to like take my kids to drop off. Cause nobody looks at you weird in New York city when you're dressed up, even if you've got nowhere to go. And it and it's a different dressed up than if you were in any other city in America yeah, too. For sure. But you know, I mean it was fifty degrees the other day and I was in Soho and I saw like more than ten belly buttons. And I was like, God bless these girls. <laughs> like they got their crop tops out. They were like tucking their shirts into their sports bras. They had they looked so cool. I was like, I love New York City. Speaking of um, tortured, if I was a woman with that, uh, I'm able to show my belly button. I don't think I'd wear anything else. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
So in general, though, has the fashion, have you ever felt like that working, especially I, I would say like in the editorial world, but even now, has it ever changed your personality and or values in a negative way? Um, you know, I, I think I, um, times have really changed. People are nice now. Mm. Um, and they didn't, being nice was not a prized quality in fashion when I started. I think we were all, um, ambitious and like, I don't think I was particularly nice when I first came to New York. I mean, I don't feel proud of that. I feel shame, but, um, yeah. And, and like, it was, it was competitive and guarded and, um, everybody was ambitious and yeah, it, people weren't nice to each other generally. No, you had your friends who you could let that down with, but, um, you know, I, I am, I control who I work with now. I mean, it's part of why my team's so small and like, I, I always tell this story, but like, there was when I was Tawny's assistant, the assistants at in sittings when I worked at Vogue did production and there was a caterer in LA who had a phone message that was like, Hi, this is the caterers, leave a message. If it's an emergency, hang up and call nine one one. And I feel like that's the motto of my studio. Like, this is fashion. There are no emergencies. We're not doing brain surgery. And the addendum to that is no is never an answer. Like anything can be fixed. You know, um, I've gotten a bra in the middle of the night in Morocco, you know, like I know how to think very laterally and figure out weird problems and um, I have a lot of experience with shippers (laughs) and with concierges, you know, like you can fix almost any problem, but I really like to keep the tone in the office um, joyful because what we do isn't essential and what we do isn't that serious. Um, you know, sometimes I feel bad about that. I'm like, Oh my God, like I could be a teacher. I could be uh, a civil servant. Like there are a million jobs I could do that would actually help people. Um, and what I do is frivolous. And I, I want that that knowledge to be present in my office so that the tone is always one of joy and kindness rather than like drama and stress. Do you have any like tactics when someone brings that energy into your life? Um, I shut down. I mean, I'm not super evolved. I'm saying all this. It sounds good. Of course. When, when thing, when people yell at me or making things really stressful, I get really like, um, self-loathing and angsty and nervous. Um, yeah, that's, that's what I do. And, and I, I get really controlling because I, I get like, oh, okay, I, I need to fix this myself. Um, and I really hate that energy. I mean, I don't, I'm so lucky at this stage of the game. I don't have any crazy clients really who are like Looney Tunes yelling at me or anything. Um, it's really lucky. I have had them in the past. I, I don't know. Well, you paid your dues too. Like I always think success besides making more money or having like an office or whatever that means to you is also being able to choose who and who you do want to work with and who you don't want to work with anymore. Yeah. 
Also, though, you know, what comes with success, people treat you with respect. People who would have no qualms yelling at my assistant won't yell at me. But do you respect them? It infuriates me. It infuriates me when I find out because I don't want anyone to suffer instead of me ever, you know, like I, I just feel like my assistants are my children and I need to protect them, you know, like they work for me and I don't want them to ever be put in situations that make them uncomfortable. Um, so I feel like I need to protect them from that. But, um, can I tell you that I appreciate that respect? I appreciate that someone won't call me and say like that dress was hideous. You don't know what you're doing. And we'll rather send an email saying like, could we chat about the look? (laughs) (laughs) Which could honestly feel the same way though, because now you're able to read through the kind of jargon. Well, it doesn't feel the same way. It doesn't. Being treated like garbage feels horrible and being treated, being told you didn't do a good job in a respectful way feels like not great. (laughs) So when you do like the longer you've been doing something and the more confident you get and the more expertise you have, you have more wins, but every once in a while, something's bad. Yeah. How do you, <laughs> no, it just is because we're doing art. It's not like we're, we're doing numbers or something. It's like, you know, there's always a variable, especially when you were saying like something has to be off about it to make it really interesting. Well, you're getting into yeah. like gray area there. That's really exciting. But also, you know, when something is just like, Oh, I now, I don't want to say fail because we're doing fashion, but when you have a, let's say, failure, where do you go? And then how do you, because you keep going, obviously you're still doing this. How do you keep, how do you keep going? What do you do? I mean, I think it's the same with everything in your life. I try really hard to like make a list. What could I have done better? I make lists for everything. I always have a notebook. Um, I was talking to one of my sons about it today. Like it's how I process information. So the way, when I feel like, I'm not doing something well, or I didn't do a good job. I generally make a list of like what I could have done better, but it's also possibly a flaw of my personality that I tend to look forward. Like I don't spend a lot of time. I can't even remember. We'll do a fitting and uh, two months ago. And I don't, I don't remember what went on in that fitting, but I'll know exactly what the fitting is going to be like in two weeks. Like, I really am obsessed with the future. I'm really bad at looking back. I um, like that, though. At least then, like, you don't st- harp on, on failure. You can just, like, pull yourself up and keep going. Yeah, I don't. I Like, if anything, I'm overly optimistic. I think, though, that the people we work with who are really successful and anybody I've met, that's the difference is that when they get knocked down, they go, what, what's next? Oh, my healthiest clients don't read their reviews. Like they don't, they're like the movie's done. There's nothing I can do about it. And then there's so many people who never follow their dreams or feel stuck because they get, you know, they don't have the same tools to get back up. It's not that they're less talented. It's really interesting. Somebody said to me, like, not that long ago, like, don't you get so jealous when you go to their houses all the time and they have these like extraordinary homes and they get all these free gifts and they live this lifestyle. And I'm like, I, I, it doesn't even cross my mind. Like, I'm not someone who dwells in like, in like, bad feelings. If something makes me feel bad, I like 
go do something that makes me feel good. I don't like feeling like that. So like I go to their fabulous new kitchen and I'm like, oh, wow, this is great. And then like I go home and, you know, think about buying a new bowl like they had on their <laughs> You know, and like, also, I, like I, I don't just, know if I would have chosen that tile, but it is really nice. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I just like, I don't like, um, I don't like feeling, um, like I, I don't like like negative feelings that I can't like logic my way out of or work my way out of. Like I'm very goal oriented. Like I've run the marathon. I like get in my head something I want to do and I focus forward. Um, and, and those feelings that are like icky feelings that I can't like do something to fix, I drop them really fast. And it's, I I don't know if it's good or if it's bad. It's practical when you're a freelance person, you don't get jobs all the time and you don't get fired. You get fired all the time. Like, I don't care. I just get another one, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Survival. Yeah. Can I do want to bring up an icky thing now though? Oh God. Get ready. Well, it's about global warming. Yeah. I've heard, and this is like one of those things I should actually look up to make sure it's true, that fashion is the second biggest um, culprit of global warming after fossil fuels. Now that people are kind of, I hate the word woke, but like more woke Mm -hmm. than ever, there's business of fashion, people are diet product, people are really like smarter consumers than ever before. Yeah. How is that going to change not only the industry, but how is it going to change the way celebrities dress? Well, you know what? Right before COVID, people kept asking me about like, are they going to rewear dresses? Because that would be eco-friendly. And I was like, you guys are not understanding the basic premise of how this industry works. They don't buy those dresses. Like they give them back. The dresses are samples that are often worn by like you know, 12 people in various photo shoots and premieres. And have the smells to prove it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) There's no, there's no waste in like, we're not throwing out clothes. The clothes all get returned. I think the, the wasteful thing in, in my personal job and with my celebrities is shipping, travel and packaging. I mean, packaging is a real problem. Uh, in we makeup, use plastic it's, it's garment, criminal. plastic garment bags, um, shipping boxes. I mean, we, in, in my office, we try to reuse as much as we can. You know, uh, we don't, we don't buy boxes or bags most of the time. I mean, it's really rare that we have to, cause we just reuse, but in the past, fancy brands always used a new garment bag. Like you would never get a bag that had a sticker over a sticker of a delivery address. You know, you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure you've seen like those yeah. pristine and inside the clothes would be in a dry cleaner bag with, um, you know, tissue paper on top of it. It's a lot of packaging. And that single garment would have been sent world that on an airplane and a car service from Paris overnight. You know, I, that and is that's where changed. I don't know if it's changed. I think people aren't, you don't see those garment bags that way. Everybody's reusing garment bags now to plastic. I mean, it's, it's shameful to, to reuse, to not reuse them. I mean, the idea of throwing them out is horrific to me. What about Um, the trickle down though, that the celebrity is viewed as someone who always has something Mm -hmm. 
new on new. that I need to have a new, yeah. I can't be, I can't go to a cocktail party in the same dress that I wore last time. Right. I mentality. mean, I, that's interesting. I hadn't really considered that aspect of it. I mean, I think the truth is people don't need as many clothes as they buy. Right. So very few people buy new shoes because their other ones have holes in them. They buy new shoes because they want a new shoe. People don't wear out their clothes. Most people have enough clothes for the rest of their life in their closets. But clothes bring us joy, right? You don't need makeup. It brings you joy. It makes you feel pretty. Um, But what we need to do, I think, is go back to a way of consuming clothes that's a little more old-fashioned. Like, even, even 30 years ago, women had one bag, and you'd buy a new bag, like, once a year even is pushing it. You buy a new bag every two years or three bag, three years, you know, and you had one pair of winter boots and you had them resold at the end of each winter. And those items were really expensive. Like it was a big deal to buy a new bag. Like I, you know, now people get a new bag every three months and they have different bags to match their outfits. I think that the answer in my opinion, is less, more expensive, higher quality items that will last longer. Does that um, mean that the fashion houses have to be willing to take a a hit financially? Uh, Not fashion houses, fast fashion. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, it's, it's not buying throwaway clothes from fast fashion place places where, you know, like there are places you can buy a chic suit for a hundred dollars. But if you dry clean it twice, it's shiny. If you if you wash the dress in the washer three times, there are strings hanging out. The buttons pop off. The, that is what needs to go. When opinion. we were younger, I remember going to Europe. We had I have family in Europe, and um, mm-hmm. they would buy very few pieces that were all impeccably made and like cashmere or silk, and wear the hell out of them. And it was so mm-hmm. chic, you know, mm-hmm. and. Um, that I see less of now. It's a, it's a lot. You're right. Yeah. It's like the, I think the real, real is positive and Vestair collective places with resale are really positive. It's nice. The idea of being able to buy luxury fashion that is secondhand, that things aren't getting just like put in storage or thrown away that, you know, someone else can find life in them is really exciting. I always thought it was cool. Anna Wintour uh, rewears dresses, you know? She has a very small wardrobe every season. She's like very edited. It's I like, like that. you know, she has 10 looks that she wears and five evening looks and she wears them for six months and then she gets a new set. Um, yeah, it's cool. Um, I wanted to ask you one last question and then uh, hopefully we have time to play a little game. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you were able to go back in time and meet yourself somewhere, where would it be? And what would you tell yourself? Oh, all I can think of is Victoria Beckham's 73 questions. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't worry. Your skin will clear up. <laughs> that is the best. <laughs> um, God, I don't know. No, you see, you're asking me to look back. I'm like, I have no idea. Um, 
you know, there were times at Vogue that were really hard. I really didn't make any money at all. And it was a lot of work. And there were a lot of times that I was like, why am I doing this? You know, I had friends who went into like banking and book publishing who were like making a lot of money and like going on vacations and everyone they worked with would like hang out nice to each other. (laughs) (laughs) But they didn't know what a good shoe was. So, (laughs) (laughs) And, and like, I think that was a pretty hard period of time where I was like, I can see what I want, but my life is so far from that. Like I, I didn't know how I was going to make that jump. There's like a real difference between an assistant and an editor. Mm. And it is years, but it's also it's lifestyle. It's, it's the way people treat them, the respect, all that stuff. And I think that looking at that, I was like, am, it, am I ever going to cross over that line? Like when? Yeah. You know, um, like how when did do you I- have the money to go to work? I mean, and, and you're expected to look a certain way. I mean, honestly, I always make jokes like this is why I don't have tons of people in my office. I probably shouldn't say it. But like my top tip for fashion assistance is like open some credit cards and start smoking. Because when you smoke, you'll hang out with like the editors and they'll chat to you in the loading dock and tell you all their secrets and become your friend and open a credit card. Because honestly, fashion people like you if you have good shoes on. There you go. (laughs) <laughs> you know, Tips and I don't the- know if that's, it's not maybe true anymore. Nobody smokes anymore, but like, that's how I got ahead. I bought stuff I couldn't afford. I bought stuff I loved and, you know, I paid it off eventually, but my mom certainly wasn't going to pay for me to like, I, I couldn't call my mother and be like, I need two pairs of Prada shoes. Right. She'd be like, you don't need two pairs of Prada shoes. But in fact, I did. Like, <laughs> and you can't just you can't just borrow them from the closet. Um, at the time we borrowed a lot of stuff. Now I don't think you can with Instagram. Uh-huh. You'll get busted. <laughs> it's no fun anymore. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> so um, All right. Yeah. So I would love to play a game with. I don't know. I'm so excited to play a game with you because you're, you know. <laughs> Cool. (laughs) And I want to know, no, I want to know like what you think is everything. I think that like in a way, like a concierge who knows everything and where to go and do this, like fashion (laughs) stylists to me are the people who like, you just are like, who makes a good uh, suit for guys who are stocky? You know, like you just have all the answers. Um, (laughs) The first one's not related to the rest of the game, but I just saw this yesterday and I was like, I want to know what Kate thinks of it. What do you think of the visible thong trend? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> like where your thong is above your sweatpants? Like like it looks like, yeah, like the thong is coming up and it's almost at like yeah, belly I mean, button. Well, what yeah. it reminds me of is Tom Ford Gucci. There was a whole collection based on that and there were Gucci thongs and like we love everything 90s, right? So here it is. So it's true. Back. That's so true. I forgot about yeah. that, but I can actually see the ad right now. Yeah. Um. What is the best uh, shopping city? Paris. Uh, Best shopping hidden gem in New York? Hmm. I really love um, the Webster 
The Webster in New York is a shop that's owned by my friend Lore, and it is a super high-end women's fashion store, but she has great taste and style. And the way she hangs the clothes is the way she would wear them. So you see like a Celine trouser with a Chanel sweater and some really cool like Raposi earring together. And I don't feel like, you know, when you go into a boutique shop, you see everything uh, designer, one designer at a time, you get one vision. And even the big department stores, I mean, now we only have Bergdorf's really, they kind of hang by designer and Laura's shop feels styled. And I love it. It looks like a cool French girl. Where is it? Um, it's in Soho. Okay. And there's a really nice, David Mallet has a hair salon in there. Oh, it's wow. great. I'll check it out. Um, yeah. Well, my next question, best hair colorist. Oh, Joe at Orlo. He's been doing my hair for years. I mean, and everybody knows you have incredible platinum hair at all times. <laughs> um, best Amazon buy? I buy these pants. I, I think I was probably, I don't know if I put them on before you left, but I love oh, I saw there's them. A, yeah, there's a pair of, it's Wrangler men's dress pants. They're like made for cowboys to wear to the rodeo. And there are these polyester jeans that um, they're really flattering. They cost 26 bucks. And and you could just like throw, right? You're saying they come out like pressed. Oh yeah. They have a permanent crease. They're pressed. You can wash and dry them and they have the crease. They're actually, I mean, not that I travel anymore, but they're the best thing for travel because it's like a really nice black trouser that's flattering that like never has a wrinkle. <laughs> I feel like I've seen you in those pants actually. I wear them all the time. What is the most embarrassing app on your phone? <laughs> <laughs> the most embarrassing app on my phone. Hold on, I'm going to look. Um, math Ninja. Oh. <laughs> it's a Times Tables math app for kids that also is a ninja video game. <laughs> nice. I probably won't check that one out. Um, <laughs> what's the best reason to live in Brooklyn? The best reason is the gardens and the neighborhoods. It's like a small town. Hmm. What is uh, your go-to fashion reference? Tina Chow. Um, <laughs> I like that. What is the best shoe ever made? Oh, gosh. Probably the Manolo Blahnik court shoe. The thing about the Manolo is it makes your leg look incredible. The heel is spindly um, and elegant, super elegant, but it's also really well balanced. So women can actually wear them. It's it, that's like the classic Manolo, right? With the yep. three inch heel. It's like the the more um, the ninety five. The one ten is like the really high one, the really chic, like one ten, one oh five. They're crazy high, but they're not as doable. Like a ninety five is kind of like the lady shoe. I feel like it's a little more elegant than the Louboutin, you know, like just. Well, the Louboutin heel is straight. There's like a tiny hourglass in the, in the Manolo and the toe box is a little bit wider. So it's, it's more comfortable. Also that red lacquer sole, it like doesn't warm up the way Louboutin, it's like a stiffer shoe. Uh-huh. I just know that the Pagal is like murder. Like anyone who's ever had to wear it is like, I, I cannot. Yeah 
wear this all I get night. mean text messages. <laughs> like if I win this award, I'm in trouble because I can't put my shoes back on. But it looks amazing. It, it is, <laughs> that is a sexy shoe. What is the worst shoe you ever wore? Like for ugliness? Yeah. Like I want to oh, know God. going back. At like- this, is a, this is a really complex thing to answer because my answer is one of my favorite shoes, but my husband's least favorite shoe. So I had these amazing, I think it's the last season Nicola Gesquier was at Balenciaga. And I had these navy blue and black lace-ups that had cube cubes for heels. I love oh. them so much. I can't even tell you. And he hated them. Like they made his body shiver and I wore them every day, <laughs> six months. And I still, they're still in my closet. I haven't worn them in years, but I Will love you send me shoe. a photo. I, I would yeah, feel sure. like I need to post it next to when we put up your <laughs> soundbite for this episode and then not say anything and just have that shoe next to it. <laughs> Um, what are the best sweatpants? Well, okay. So the best sweatpants is a complex question. So like, if you just want to look like sweatpants, I really like entire world. They're really good. But if you want them a little bit more trendy, there's a brand like kind of easy vibes, but like sort of, you know, sweatpants that look like they came from, you know, a chic store. I really like a brand called Basique, which is okay. from Australia. Um, and then for like millennial Instagram sweatpants, I really like um, Cotton Citizen. Okay. I'm glad we included the millennial sweatpant because we got we have three <laughs> groups now of sweatpants. Yeah. That's funny. Um, where's the best place to see great fashion? Ooh. Um, the Avenue Montaigne in Paris, mm. like every designer has a good shop there. And then, I mean, honestly, Instagram, like yeah. if you follow the Costume Institute on Instagram, it's amazing. Really? It's so good. Yeah. Give me two other really amazing accounts that not even fashion, not fashion that you think are great. Um, well, I love, do you know this? The, I was watching before this. Do you know Luke, Luke Millington, um, this like comedian, hmm. Luke Millington Drake. He, he does. Um, I first saw him during quarantine because he, he just does impersonations. And first of all, he's gorgeous. Um, but he does these impersonations, um, Oh yeah, he's too and, like handsome. dramas he's on too his cute computer. To be funny. Yeah, okay, but he does this series called Fashion Party that like all my friends were tagging each other on during quarantine, and I think he is so funny um, and very easy on the eye. Um, if you just want to laugh, I love the Instagram. Look at this Russian. Um, <laughs> I've never with, heard of it. Look at this Russian makes me laugh out loud regularly. Um, for fashiony like uh, influencer stuff, uh, my friend Camille Charrier, she's half French, half English. She does like just you know very classic influencer Instagram, but it's her outfits and she has great style. She has a beautiful home. She's also a writer and she's a really intelligent writer. So like when she does decide to write something, it's worth reading. How do you spell um, her name? 
Camille, it's uh, like Camille. Uh huh. And Charrier is C H A R I E R E, I think. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna look her up. Um, love those accounts. That's great. Then my my best friend Victor Glimo, he has his business Instagram is the best because he puts up like a really good um, Monday post every day to like get you in the mood, like dancing or like just vibey. Um, I really, I mean, obviously I really like him, but I think he does his Instagram really well. What is the last song you listened to? Oh, well, I'm editing the YouTube right now. And, um, Kate Laban is a singer who is on my husband's label and is my good friend. And she let me use her song for my show. So I keep listening to, um, it's called home to you by Kate Laban. Nice. What's the last dessert you had? Oh, last night I had um, really fancy chocolates because they were the invitation to the Chloe show. So I'll tell you, they're from LM Ducasse. Oh. They're very fancy and delicious. And my kids are really into all these brands sending desserts as invitations. <laughs> when is the last... God, I think this question you're going to have so many. When's the last time you laughed inappropriately? I mean, every second. don't you love that though i mean that there's no laughter like when it's super inappropriate and like you're with someone and you're just like i can't do it i can't it's like wrong this would be the worst Uh, moment i mean that's the beauty of zoom actually that you can mute yourself when you feel it coming but like I was on a call, a Zoom call for my son's school, and I I knew I was like I saw who was talking, and I knew what was going to happen, and I like quickly muted myself and like put my face out of the screen, like as if I had to you know do something with my child so I could have like a hearty giggle. Uh, <laughs> um, Kate, it was so nice talking to you. I'm excited for your YouTube channel. I'm definitely going to subscribe to that, and um, Thank you. I'm also excited to like collaborate and be back at work and laughing inappropriately. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so so much. Yeah. Thanks for coming on and um, hope to talk to you soon. You too. Bye. Bye.